Hello, Duke fans. Welcome to episode number 28 of the DBR Bites. <laughs> you had to think uh, about Jason that, Jason. Evans. Yeah, thank you. Uh, we, I guess we could also title this an emergency podcast, an emergency episode, because uh, Mike Elko is leaving Duke and headed to Texas A&M. The Duke football program got two years, almost almost exactly two years out of Coach Elko, and then he moved on to, uh, I guess you would say, greener pastures. And we're going to be discussing that. It, uh, I am Jason Evans. Joining me, as always, is Donald Wine, and we have another special guest with us, a man who has been closely connected to the football team over the years and a very familiar voice here on the DBR podcast, Sam Klein. Sam, thanks for joining us on a sad day for Duke football. I don't know that you would describe moving from uh, Durham to Texas as greener pastures. They're more tan. I think. <laughs> uh, I think the money's green. This what well, I was going to say. <laughs> money, the money is green. green. Money is definitely green. The, the right, but it, well, it's it, it it's green uh, because of all the black that they mine out of the ground there. So yes, that oil. So so guys, let's let's do this this way. I mean, uh, so it, it's pretty much official at this point. It is official. Duke has announced uh, an interim head coach. Nina King held a press conference today. Trooper Taylor, um, who was uh, what Donald, you, you watch, you know, you watch the the press conference. Talk to us about what Nina King had to say about the departure of Mike Elko just just a short time ago. Yeah, it it wasn't much. Uh, she didn't take any questions. It was actually at the start of the weekly uh, basketball uh, press conference that John Shire has. So she kind of stepped in and said some words there. Uh, but the long and short of it is this: you know, she mentioned that Mike Elko and her had had extensive discussions late into the night last night, Sunday night, uh, as to, you know, investments in the program, the resources, probably a contract extension or money bump of some sort. And in the end, he informed Nina King that he was leaving for Texas A&M. And of course, a lot of fans out there saw that he flew to, uh, flew to college station in the middle of the night, landing about two in the morning, local time here in Texas. She did mention, as you, as you said, Jason Trooper Taylor will serve as the interim head coach. He was the associate head coach and running backs coach this season for Duke football. There wasn't any talk about any of the other, uh, any of the other assistants that are on the staff, whether they'll be going with Mike Elko or, or staying at Duke. But we do know that Feely, uh, the, the strength and conditioning coach that did come into Duke with Mike Elko, he announced that he will be leaving uh, to go to Texas A&M to follow Mike Elko. So he's the only one that has officially announced his departure. What Nina King has already said about this search is already underway and a national search is underway. She's uh, retained Parker executive search committee uh, to help with the uh, hiring. And then obviously this may be something that comes very fast because another thing that she did mention is that she talked to the team this morning in person um, about the departure of Mike Elko and also plans to talk this evening with the recruits, uh, the, the committed recruits that were, you know, signing days just a couple weeks away and so that class that was supposed to be coming in next week for kind of a homecoming uh, type of camp that she's talking with her, with those players and their families this evening in the hopes to maybe, you know, stop some of this bleeding that is about to start um, with the transfer portal and with guys who may be actively reconsidering their commitment. So that was really all she said. It was a, you know, less than a 10 minute uh, press conference, but it's very clear that the long and short of it is Duke is in need of a new head coach. Yeah, there are a million different ways we can take this gentleman. And and I think maybe the, the first one is something that Donald mentioned there, that timing is of the essence right now. Um, there, there are a number of recruits who have not 
put their name on the dotted line yet who are expected to do that in the next couple of weeks. Uh, the transfer portal opens next week at this time. And um, Duke would both hope to be an active player in the transfer portal in terms of bringing guys in because we had a lot of guys graduate and, and play, you know, or, or who will be graduating after our bowl game um, who will be leaving the program. But we're also, you know, in addition to bringing guys in, we are also very much hoping to keep guys from departing the program. There are already many, many rumors out there um, about some big name player. Are we going to say it guys? Are we going to get into it there? I'll, yeah. I'll get into it. What the hell? There's, there's a lot of talk that Riley Leonard is going to be looking at the transfer portal. Um, there's, uh, there's, open talk that Notre Dame is planning to make him a very lucrative NIL offer the same way they did to Wake Forest, Sam Hartman a year ago, Sam Hartman came in and had a really, really good season for Notre Dame at quarterback. Notre Dame needs a QB. And rather than growing one on their own, it looks like they are content to go out and find the best guy available on the transfer portal market and make him a lucrative offer. And Riley Leonard might be that name. We don't know anything for sure. That's just the rumor and speculation that's out there. There's a lot of doom and gloom around the Duke program. Uh, the Duke football program, unfortunately, right now. Hey, Sam, give me your give me your thoughts on all this stuff. I don't know if you want to do the timing. If you just want to do, you know, the only getting two years of out, out of Elko. There are a million ways we can take this. Well, let me react first to what you were just saying. That the timing is is essential here, and I am sure that Nina King is going to have someone in place sooner than later. Uh, these searches don't like Nina King doesn't start thinking about replacing Mike Elko at Sunday at eleven p.m. Right. This right. is a this is a constant discussion. Duke maintains a a potential list all the time. Uh, the search firms maintain lists. They've got all the like background on these coaches kind of constantly up to date because they know that this thing that the the carousel moves quickly, especially as you mentioned, given the transfer portal. Given that you know Duke has another game coming up in a few weeks that they're going to need to game plan for, and Mike Elko's not going to be there for it. Uh, and and the other thing as it pertains to both game prep and recruiting is that Trooper Taylor's taking over as the, uh, as the interim head coach, whether, by, by the way, or... Sam, Sam, it's worth noting Trooper Taylor was at Duke. He was part of the program prior to Mike, Mike Elko coming on board. And yeah, I he's, think what... he, he's been around for a few years. So, so, but I was going to say that whether it's him or anyone else on the coaching staff, particularly the more senior coaches, it's not like every, every recruit commits solely to Mike Elko or solely to Duke. In fact, in many cases, uh, these players are are committing to positional group coaches. So whether that's Trooper Taylor with the running backs or anybody else on the coaching staff, often these players are most sort of committed to whoever their positional group coach will be. And so when you see who who moves around, it'll be interesting how much Mike Elko is able to retain his staff uh, from Duke and bring them over. I would imagine that given that Texas A&M, look, we don't need to go into the entire psyche of, of what AM was thinking when they hired, when they offered Mark Stoops first. And then when Stoops eventually turned them down, they turned to Elko. It's interesting that Elko was an assistant coach very recently under the coach they just fired. Uh, yeah. So well, there's right. an element he, of like, he knows AM. Like, he was there for four years. Yeah. He knows it, but it also means that he may retain some of the staff because he already, knows. like the, the guys that Elko might bring in that he would consider bringing in might include a lot of guys who are already there because he knows some of them in addition to bringing guys over from Duke. So we don't know how that's all going to shape out, uh, but it, it happens very quickly. And everyone in college football world knows this is the case. Duke fans actually have not been exposed to this very much uh, in, in recent memory, especially in the world of NIL. We've had one coaching change 
in like 20 years, almost 20 years, or two coaching changes in 20 years at Duke. And, and until this one, uh, and, and like the, the last, the, the, the last coaching change prior to this one, all the other ones were because everything was so bad. And, and the thinking was, look, it can't get worse. Let's fire the coach and bring in a whole new staff. Right. This is, this is a, a different beast altogether. Sam, my my best friend and I have obviously all of us have been kind of going back and forth in this over the last 24 hours. And my best friend basically summed it up like this. And I think it's perfect. The Duke fan base is learning how college football works today, because this is how college football works. Yeah. And if you think about it, there has been over the last, you I mean, we're not, we're not young, but we're not old. Right. We remember in 1989 when Steve Spurrier left Duke to go to Florida, he is the, Mike Elko to Steve Spurrier. That is the last time that a Duke coach left on his own terms, Duke University, to coach somewhere else. Everyone else has been fired. That is that is so. There's a lot of people here who were experiencing this for the very first time. And and look, when, when we talk about that, there's there's a lot of angles to this, right? And this is why I I, I felt like it, it, I wanted to to come back on here because I was trying to type up my thoughts on the on the DBR forum, but. It was moving too quickly for me. It was wild. Anyway, here I am. Uh, don't forget that when you post things on the internet, they stay there. Uh, here, here's my thoughts on, on this situation. I, I'm sure I mentioned at some point over the last year that we can't be that upset when Mike Elko decides to pick up and go to another job. For a variety of reasons, Duke is not a destination program for college football. The odds that Duke ever becomes a destination program for college football are extremely slim, starting with the fact that Duke plays in a 30,000-seat stadium. And there are many programs that play in 80, 90, 100,000-seat stadiums. Those are the destinations. Those are the places where not only are the coaches getting paid, but the players are getting paid, paid top dollar. If Duke was able to support more than that, Duke would build more than that. It is just the fact of the matter. The other thing that Sam, Sam, hey, really quick, just a quick stat because I looked it up. Uh, at Texas A&M, they will have more people attend their first two games than will attend every Duke game for the entire season. Jason, right. Jason, they have more people attend Yale practice than attend yeah. a football game it's, and spring yeah. game and, and all that stuff. Right? Mm -hmm. it, it is a, it is on a different. If you haven't like been to a Texas A&M game or seen them on TV. If you don't remember what it was like when we played them in the Peach Bowl 10 years ago, it is a totally different world. Uh, forget forget the fact that Texas A&M basically goes seven and five and eight and four every year. Uh, and, and then, then fires uh, their coach after three years. And then fires their, for, forget that, right? Hey, <laughs> you, mentioned, you mentioned that Peach Bowl, that is, the, that is the success that they have had over the last 13 years is playing us in the Chick-fil-A Bowl with I'm, Johnny Manziel, who was, that was I the am, peach I am, of A&M football. Am, I am not disputing that that their demonstrated ceiling is not that much higher than Duke's. <laughs> not on the table here. What is on the table is that they have a lot more money. They play in a conference where they make a lot more money. The outlook for, for these two programs over the next 5, 10, however many years is, is vastly different. And frankly, it's a bummer that like Duke hires Mike Elko away when Jimbo Fisher feels fairly secure in his job. I don't think when when Duke hired Mike Elko, the thinking was, oh, he he'll do well, and then he'll he'll be right back at Texas A&M being their head coach in two years because they had to pay an enormous payout to Jimbo Fisher for this for this to be possible, even in the in the insane world that is Texas A&M football. So it's not like anyone knew that Coach Elko was going to leave in two years. I think I also said two years ago when when 
when we talked about this hire, I said, you know, the best thing that could happen here is that he's not at Duke for more than four years, because if he does really I well, remember. I remember then, you he's saying that. A, then he's on a short list and he goes somewhere else. So, so before we get to like, you know, does it, is it okay to like take a plane in the middle of the night and not really tell the players goodbye? Like, I mean, we can get into that for a second, but just, I want to throw cold water on the whole thing and say, Duke is probably not going to do that much better than this when it comes to being a stepping stone for a coach to end up at a program with a lot more resources. And be, before we get to the sauce, Jason, because I know we're going to get to the sauce, I will say, you know, even this year, right, even this offseason when he signed the extension, we said this is the best case possibility. We're like, hey, he did so well in year one that we knew that people were going to come after him year two. So we signed him to an extension with a with a bigger buyout, probably. I think it was, you know, it's been re- reported at five million dollars. And you yeah. don't need and you don't need an extension after year one. After year one. You do a good job. Unless you do a good job, and also when you know that people are going to be coming after your coach, as early I mean, what a month ago, Jason, when the fir- when the rumors first started about Michigan State, and we were like, hey, and maybe A and M, we're like, hey, if you know Michigan State, he's not leaving for Michigan State, but if A and M or Michigan open up, he's going to have some discussions. And we, we this is something that in the in the minds we we kind of hoped that he would stay, but you know, it's the hope that kills, as we say in soccer. Like it was always, it was always a possibility that this was going to occur if he continued to elevate this program the way he has. And and Mike Elko, like he didn't go to Duke. He didn't coach at Duke before he was here, right? Like he's he, got no great ties to us. We exactly, gave him a chance. Like, that's like, fun, but that's and, it. Yeah. And, and, and I want, if you're listening to this and you're like, but, 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 I want you to do one mental exercise for me, which is whatever you do for a living, if you make a million dollars, and then someone tells you that you can go work at a different company and do the same job for like $5 million. I don't know what the exact numbers are here, but it's it's probably somewhere on the order of he's making four, five, five six million four dollars one, yeah. a year to do what he's to do what he's doing and and potentially with a much bigger buyout and guaranteed money and all that stuff. If you could double, triple your salary and go work somewhere else with better resources and better support to to do more of a chance of success. Yeah. If you tell me if you and by the way, you've only been at your job for two years. If you tell me that you would turn that down. I think you're full of crap. Forget Uh, all that. Forget all that. (laughs) If you tell me that you wouldn't consider it like I like whatever right like he oh, could have yeah. come back and said he could come back and said you know what that's a great offer i really appreciate it cutcliffe did this right he said hey great you know i really appreciate your faith in me but i already got a job and that could have happened too but when that comes in the fact is is you consider it because you owe it to yourself you owe it to your family to at least think it through and the Guys, difference uh, between the difference between mike elko's deciding to go to texas a&m in 2023 and coach cutcliffe deciding to stay at duke in 2010, because people will like some of you will remember this. Coach Cutcliffe had the offer to go back to Tennessee. And you might say, well, Cutcliffe spurned Tennessee. He was a you know, he was a longtime uh, uh, offensive coordinator there. Obviously, he coached a number of of notable players at Tennessee, blah, blah, blah. It should be the same experience. He stayed at Duke. <laughs> Coach Cutcliffe had had gone through heart surgery. He was, I think, a little older than Mike Elko is now. Yes. Quickly said, I ain't looking for that anymore. Like he basically admitted like this Duke, this Duke job is not as hard as a Tennessee job. It does Uh not, it is not going to kill me (laughs) if I don't succeed at Duke. And you know what, the way that, the way that Duke fired coach Cutcliffe 
was like the most like ride this out. We're going to treat you as nice as possible thing. Mike Elko's not there in his career right now. And maybe, maybe in 15 years, Mike Elko will be like, man, I wish I had just stayed at Duke. Like, like I got, I got chewed up and spit out going back to college station. Um, but that's not where he is right now. And that's yes. different, different scenarios. Guys. So really quick, as Donald mentioned, let's get a little bit saucy because I agree with everything you've said. When Texas A&M comes calling with better money, better facilities, better blah, 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 blah. And with their, with their history in the game and a member of the SEC, not the ACC that's potentially tearing it. Remember the ACC potentially tearing itself apart in the next five years or so. Uh, yes, I, I get it. I'm not going to say it's a no brainer, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to say that if you said it was a no brainer that I disagree with you. I completely understand why Mike Elko took this offer from Texas A&M. You do what you have to do, but you need to do it honorably. And according to everything I've heard, it appears that literally while Mike Elko was telling his players, I'm going to decide something in the next 24 hours, literally at the same time as he was saying that, there was a plane flying to Durham from College Station to pick him up and take him to Texas A&M. I'm sorry, but that means that he lied to his players. What's more, a week ago, he told people at Duke that he was sticking around. I have sources. I, I, I went ahead and, and posted a tweet that got a lot of attention where I said, Mike Elko is staying at Duke, has decided not to take the Texas A&M job or the Michigan State jobs. And that is because that is what he told people at Duke, including his players, including people in the athletic department. And I get that people change their mind. And I get that unexpected offers can fall into your lap. But if they do, change your heart honorably. And I think the fact that Mike Elko deceived his players, I believe he also deceived Nina King. Donald, you talked about the fact when they were talking and having negotiations, I believe he had already reached a deal with Texas A&M. That's, that's sort of what I'm hearing. You know, I've got a little bit of a problem with that. Not a huge, but I've got a little bit of a problem with that. And then the last thing is this. Those players that he wasn't completely honest with, they sweated for him. A major part of the way that Mike Elko remade this program was stepping up the conditioning in the weight room. And that is nothing but pure effort on the part of the players. There's no great strategy or scheme involved in getting better in the weight room. It's just about players putting in hard work and busting their butts. And I think he owed it to them to be honest. I don't blame him for taking the A&M job. That program, like I said, puts as many butts and seats in one game as Duke does an entire season. It's a program with rich boosters who are willing to lay out serious sums of money to help out with NIL. It's a program that's going to pay him many millions more than Duke could. It's a program in a town that he's quite familiar with after being there for four years. It's a, it's a school where they take football as their lifeblood in the way that Duke does with basketball. I don't blame Mike Elko one bit, but I do wish he would have conducted the entire process a little more honorably versus hopping on a plane in the middle of the night and getting out of Dodge and then not talking to your players face-to-face -face the next day. The way he broke this to the Duke team, I mean, they already knew, but the way he supposedly broke it to the Duke team was he held a Zoom meeting with the team. And frankly, from what we hear, most of the team didn't even bother to show up. They were so disgusted with him. Well, it was Nina King that said that she met with the team in person and, and delivered that news. So uh, 
the Zoom meeting probably was irrelevant at that point. But look, I I I you know hear you on everything that you just said. Like, there's obviously different ways to inform a team that this is going to happen or this is going down. This is one way. He did not write the blueprint of this. This this is something that is ha- again we're learning how a college college football works. This happens all the time. People get picked up in the middle of the night, get dropped off. I mean, you know, Baltimore Coats moved a whole franchise in the middle of the night, right? Like back in 83. So this is not something that is new. It, it, obviously, I know I can understand how that rubs a lot of people the wrong way. But also when we look at the timeline of things, I think a lot of people said that initially, not the, not yesterday's meeting or last night's meeting, but initially where he said, Jason, when you said he was staying at Duke, at that time, he probably was. He probably had planned to stay at Duke because at that point, Michigan State was about to hire Jonathan Smith. I agree. Smith. I, I don't think he yeah. was lying at that point. Yeah. Michigan State was about to hire Jonathan Smith, which they did on Saturday. And on Saturday, we heard that Mark Stoops was taking the job at AM. And then three hours later, he backed out and said, no, I'm not going. Or, or it fell through. I think the, the one thing I mentioned this on the DBR forums is everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. Mike Tyson said that famously. The plan was to stay. The punch was $50 million or whatever it is that A&M offered on Saturday night. And on Sunday morning, he had to adjust his plan. So I think, or Sunday at some point, he had to adjust his plan and say, hey, look, I got I to gotta at least consider this, talk to the family, whatever. We had mentioned uh, there's been some reports about what he's told recruits. I, I'm not going to speculate on whether they're true or not because we honestly don't know. But there are reports out there that he had told recruits one thing, that he was staying and then turned around and did this. Same thing with the players. But at the end of the day, I mean, this is – I don't like the way that happened. I think that part is, you know, pretty messed up. But it's also not the first time this has happened. And, again, guys in college football, especially the fact that we've had a lot of guys come in here on transfer, they've undergone some of the same thing over and over again. And I I, I, I hate that for the players because, like you said, Jason, they have put in the effort. We have seen that um, firsthand, how, how this team has improved from year one to year two. But at the end of the day, this unfortunately, this is this is the cost of, of playing football and trying to be in a competitive conference in football. Some of this is going to happen. This won't be the last time someone comes in and tries to steal a Duke coach. This won't be the last time that players need to get talked to and everything like that. We have to learn from this. So as Carol Lawson would tell you, we can handle the heart better next time. And, and in the grand scheme, right, this is this is probably worse than what you would hope for. Uh, but better I think than than you should honestly like anticipate right yeah. there, there is there is little honor among among this among this group of people you know football coaches are, are changing jobs all the time even the head coaches guys get fired really quickly guys get fired for 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 dumber things so uh yeah do I would I like to hold him to a higher standard and would I personally like to think that I would that I would do this better yes um am I realistic that that you know they're they're answering to, you know, they're answering to the media. They're answering to their to the to the fan base. They're answering to the players who are in the locker room, who certainly mean a lot. And I would I'd like to think that the you know the, the coaches think most about how their families and their players are going to respond to all of this. There's assistant coaches. There's athletic directors. There's boosters. There's a ton of people that are that are thinking about every move here. What's crazy to me is that he had that meeting and then. Apparently, he talked to Nina King for a while last night, and somehow, in in the time that it took him to do all those things, 
he managed to actually physically get on a plane and go from North Carolina to Texas, which takes a few hours and like mm-hmm. land in the middle of the night. The other the other interesting thing that I know has been brought up uh, like on Twitter and 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 on various message boards is the difference in the way that Mike Elko appeared at Texas A&M and the way that Jimbo Fisher appeared a few years ago. Because when they hired Jimbo Fisher, it was fanfare, 12 minutes, like the whole thing. And uh, Mike Elko just sort of arrived on the tarmac and and you know got into a uh, got into a chauffeured vehicle and and was off on his way. So I I don't know if uh, I don't know if you can teach uh, humility and rationality to to the Texas A and M fan base, but maybe this is what Mike Elko will bring to them. Before we get to break, can I offer one quick silver lining to us as a fan base? Remember, I graduated in two thousand four, and as Wilson uh, on the DBR forums, who is in the same year as me. Through our junior year, we had more national championships in basketball than football wins. That's that's the struggle that we had. <laughs> if we were not far removed from 2006, 2007, where Louisville sued us for us backing out of the game, and our legal argument was we are so bad as a football program that any other football program would have sufficed as a suitable alternative, and the courts agreed. We are now arguing about whether it was poor for Mike Elko to run off in the middle of the night to accept a new job. Ladies and gentlemen, we have become a college football fan base. <laughs> All right. With that, we're going to take a quick break. You know, this is supposed to be a DBR bites, but it's turning into a full episode. <laughs> oh, well, what the heck? It's on the other bite. side, on the other side, we're going to talk a little bit about some potential names out there who could be the next head coach of the Duke Blue Devils. That's coming up in just a second. This episode of the Duke Basketball Roundup is sponsored by BetterHelp. Springtime is the season that's supposed to feel like a new beginning. We have better weather, and it feels like everyone gains a boost of energy. However, for many, leaving winter behind doesn't always mean that their mood lightens up with the extra sunlight. We all carry around stress, and that stress can build as more events get added to your calendar. That's certainly true, Donald. And with the amount of social gatherings... Increasing with the improving weather and more daylight, there's more pressure to be on when you're interacting with family, friends, coworkers, even strangers, even when stress has you a little bit down. And for some, getting advice from a therapist can help you tackle some of that stress without affecting you or the people you care about. That's what BetterHelp is all about. It's entirely online and it's designed to be therapy that's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a professional licensed therapist. And you can switch therapists anytime you want. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and find your social sweet spot. Visit betterhelp.com slash Duke Roundup today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Duke Roundup. All right, guys, back from the break, and it's time to put Mike Elko in the rearview mirror and look ahead to who potentially, what are some of the names, what are some of the possibilities out there 
for Duke's next football coach, the guy who will lead the program onward and upward, hopefully. Uh, Donald, you said you had a couple names. Uh, get, go ahead and give me yours, and then I'll give you some of the ones. I've been doing a little bit of research on this as well. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's been a lot of names thrown out in the last five, six hours, and it's not necessarily that these guys are interested or that Duke may be interested, but they're, you know, obviously people throwing out names for the sake of argument or sake of conversation. I'm going to start with one that honestly, you ain't got to sell me on this one. Uh, a lot of people have said that Duke's first phone call should be to Sharon Moore, who has famously been the interim head coach uh, at Michigan while Jim Harbaugh was suspended. Hey, if you call Sharon and Sharon was come, I'm telling you right now, just go get him. Like that man, I, I will, I will, I will ride for that man all the time because he has done a great job in some pretty unusual circumstances up there in Ann Arbor. You know, a lot of people have looked at David Shaw, a former, you know, former Stanford head coach, not necessarily coach right now, but obviously has been in a similar situation considering the fact that we have a little bit more of a stringent admissions requirement than some other schools do and that he's had to be able to navigate that at Stanford. There's been a lot of other ones that have been thrown out. Jason Candle, who's the Toledo head coach, uh, Willie Fritz, the Tulane head coach, Kurt Kignetti, uh, the James Madison head coach, uh, who's a little bit older um, than some of the other ones that have been on here. And, and Jason, here's one that someone threw out that kind of threw me for a loop. But, it, you know, again, there's a Duke tie there. Bill O'Brien, the Patriots offensive coordinator, who, of course, huh. was an offensive coordinator at Duke uh, back in 2005, 2006, before he went to uh, greater, greater success with the New England Patriots during that run. So uh, those are a little bit, Jason, there's a huge list, but I want to see what you also came up with. All right. So here's some of the names that I came up with. <laughs> um, first one, and I, I think if this guy is willing to do it. I would grab him in a heartbeat. Troy Calhoun, the head coach at Air Force. Um, he'd be super high in my list. He's done an absolutely elite job at Air Force since 2007. It's a program that has the same kind of academic limitations and, and hurdles that you have at Duke that don't exist at a lot of other programs. And, and frankly, Air Force has been really, really good considering it's one of the service academies. They've been really good in recent years. I don't, I don't know. Duke looked at him, by the way, when they hired Mike Elko two years ago. So they've and already. Cliff. Uh, oh, and when we hired Cutcliffe. Yeah. Yeah, he's... yeah. I mean, he's someone that, that we've definitely admired in the past. I don't know that you're getting him away. He played at Air Force and he's now been there, like I said, for like 15 plus years. But if Troy Calhoun's willing to listen, I would certainly want to talk to him. I'll give you another name that I, I'm actually really high on. <laughs> Jeff Trailer, who's the head coach at uh, Texas San Antonio, UTSA. <clears throat> he took a program that had losing seasons in five of their previous six seasons. Um, and he's since then he's gone, he took over and he went seven and five, 12 and two, 11 and three and eight and four. He has shown that he is a winner. He's also considered to be a, a pretty good recruiter considering he was at UTSA. And then there are a couple, there are a couple pretty prominent coordinators who supposedly might be interested in this. Um, the first one you have to mention is Duke's current offensive coordinator, Kevin Johns. And I think we may learn a lot about what Duke is thinking in terms of a replacement. If Kevin Johns follows Mike Elko to Texas A&M, then, then you know that he's probably not under consideration at Duke. If he instead sticks around at Duke, um, coaches, you know, helps coaches in the bowl game, then I think there's a pretty good chance. I think Kevin Johns has a better chance than Trooper Taylor does of potentially landing this job. I will say in Kevin Johns's uh, situation, I, I think it, this is not a this is not an end all be all. This is not something that is a generic statement. But usually, 
if a guy has a chance to stay, he's named at least the interim head coach, or at least in in this situation, if he was being a really up for consideration, I feel like, especially considering that he was a little bit ele- more elevated on the level of associate head coach than Trooper Taylor was, it might be a sign that Kevin Johns is not interested in sticking around. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. It's entirely possible. When they named Trooper Taylor, I was like, I think that probably means Kevin Johns is not in the cards, but I was going to mention him anyway. I, I have not done the research because I don't work here no more. But uh, <laughs> let, me, let me let me say a couple of things about, about Duke's coaching search. Uh, Mike Elko in two years at Duke had a 640 winning percentage. Uh, I'm going to be thrilled, thrilled if Duke's next coach has a better winning percentage at any point in his tenure other than maybe after, you know, three games. Because maybe, I don't know, next year we we might start the season against a, a bunch of easy opponents, right? <laughs> Uh, so, so let's keep all the expectations reasonable here. Uh, and let's also acknowledge that whoever, like if Duke, if Duke hires a head coach from another school, if they hire James Madison's coach or or air forces coach or whoever, uh, that that guy is also going to be picking up, uh, and, and leaving town. Uh, and, and the, 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 the cycle, you know, Donald, you, you talked about like, welcome to the, like, welcome to the show. Uh, you know, this is what happens everywhere. Uh, maybe Duke will hire a coordinator and, and the, the the sting won't feel as bad. Where you know, I'd love to get you know uh, an associate head coach from Michigan. That sounds like a great idea. They're they're probably headed to the college football playoffs. So, uh, hey Sam, I've also I've also heard Justin Fry, who's the associate head coach at Ohio State, supposedly great. supposedly there's some interest there. I'll tell no, you, we don't want I'm him. Really we don't want him. In. Does, J- does Jim Knowles want to come back? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm really interested in Ryan Grubb, who's the offensive coordinator at Washington. The Washington mm-hmm. offense is like off the charts good. So he I was think on my list too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh can we get Michael Penix too? Is that is he in the I think uh, I think the NFL yeah. might be getting him, but yeah, uh, we don't get you never know. Get, you never know. It, it, look, we'll give up Notre Dame can have Riley Leonard. We'll take Michael Penix Jr. And <laughs> deal. And I think that's a it's, <laughs> look whoever whoever Duke gets, we we know this this whole cycle is going to happen. And uh the only prediction that I will make is that Duke will have a head coach in the next 40 where it's it's almost four o'clock on Monday. Duke will have a head coach in the next like 48 hours. Uh, wow. You think it's going to be that fast? There huh? is, yeah. Because, because you need to do all of this stuff. You need to do recruiting. You need to do bowl game preparation. You need to, you need to turn the NIL spigot back on. Uh, all of those things happen with a head coach and they are very, uh, all of that is difficult to do without a head coach. Now, whether that, that head coach who gets announced, like, like coaches, the bowl game actually is, is, is not always like you don't necessarily plug that guy in to coach the bowl game because because Kevin Johns and Trooper Taylor like know the the playbook here and they know the players better and frankly if you have the head coach just focused on recruiting and getting to know the the players and not having to spend time in in practice then then the transition can actually go a little yeah that's easier. better <laughs> but but uh, I I expect and and Nina King's a, a pro at this right we've we've talked before about how how she's managed a couple of these coaching transitions a couple big coaching transitions in her short tenure um she's got a she's got a good temperament for this uh she knows all the people that she has to talk to she's already got the search firm in place i'm sure she already had the the list going even even before all of this because she knows how the how the game is played here and i bet i bet duke's gonna have a a a new head coach pretty quick and we will talk ourselves at least those of us that that aren't totally doom and gloom about this we'll talk ourselves into that guy being a good pick for duke unless it's pat fitzgerald exactly um i I will say this uh sam you mentioned the bowl 
game preparation, stuff like that. I will say that losing a head coach really affects bowl placement. And as of right now, you know, Jason, you and I talked over the weekend about how we were basically solidly locked into the Duke's Mayo Bowl. And as of this morning, that has gone away. A lot of these, a lot of these projections are going for lots of bowls that are Fenway Bowl. Fenway Bowl. Sam, Fenway Sam, bowl. I love you, but I don't want to come see you in late December. Fenway and, Bowl. <laughs> that is one that has actually been listed. Let, Pinstripe Bowl. Uh, let you know, Sam quick lane bowl. To the, to the bowl game. Sam <laughs> wants to walk to the bowl game. But I think getting a coach in place will help again tell those people, hey, you know. Duke solid. We're on solid ground. You don't have to worry about, you know, them only lining up 15 people like their Texas state in uh, unnecessary and necessary roughness. Like we don't have to worry about that. But at the end of the day, I will say for those fans who are not doom and gloom, and even for those who are, this bowl game is super important. Make sure you get out and support the team. If you can, if you could get to wherever we end up in a bowl game, I know the, the players who stay are the players who are committed and we need to show our love for them. Ben yeah. way bowl. Ben Way Bowl. Am, am I correct that the transfer portal will open and players could potentially leave before the bowl game happens? That is correct. <laughs> that is just like such a that the is a really screwy system. Happens, the, 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 the bowl game effectively happens in the second semester. So if you think about it in, in academic terms, the players are deciding to transfer at the end of first semester and then they're gone to their the next destination. The, the coaches talk about how the bowl games. This is so like we're we're such basketball people that that it like doesn't occur to us this way. The bowl game is basically its own season for the purposes mm -hmm. of like who's on we the call roster. It bowl season. And yeah, it, it is bowl season. Like like the the players are different, the coaches are different. Uh, the coaches are already recruiting the next team. Coach Cutcliffe used to talk about how he liked to use the bowl game to start installing next year's uh, next year's system. Because you know you have the new coaching staff, it's like it's time to start moving on. And frankly, a lot of the a lot of the seniors, like the, the seniors who are who are um, who are like going to start thinking about the NFL draft, um, don't even necessarily participate in the bowl game because they're because they're you know anyone that's looking at at going pro is thinking about that more than they're thinking about the bowl game. The guys who know this is their last opportunity to play college football, they're they're dialed in. But but it is a it's a totally different mindset around the program. When it comes to bowl game prep, this is not the same way that you would think about about preparing for the postseason. And there isn't an equivalent in basketball. Like even I mean, you'd have to talk to a Carolina fan about this, but even preparing for the NIT is not the same as as preparing for a bowl. See game. what you did there. Like nice that. shade, Sam. That was Thank really, you. really well done. Thank yeah. And, and look, this is this is part of the argument for why do we have bowl games again? <laughs> like because they're of, fun. They're because, fun. Because they're fun. I I I I explained to my girlfriend recently about how bowl games work. Uh, not to not to be that guy, but she was like, "That's really stupid." <laughs> That's her. That was her summation of it. But it's fun. It's it's yeah, But it's fun. It's, what it is. it's fun to watch. Look, next year we get a twelve-team playoff, and I think that's going to make the bowl game seem really irrelevant. <laughs> and and Texas A&M might watch. finally make the playoff. I doubt mm -hmm. it. I doubt mm. it. The, there's, the SEC, the, the SEC. there's always a chance. Hey, look, Mike Elko, I, I still think Mike Elko is a great coach. He may do wonderful things at Texas A&M. The SEC is bur murderer's row. It is just. Although, I, mean, what I, I think I was reading that, that Texas A&M gets like an easy version of the SEC schedule. Yes, next their year. schedule next year is right? insanely easy. Yeah, they have no Georgia. They have no Alabama. I think they, I think they don't even play Texas. It's like. 
Their schedule is Oh, no, they're playing easy. Texas. They're definitely they, playing they have Texas. to play Texas. They're definitely they're, playing Texas. No, one, playing no one's getting away with Texas going to the SEC and not playing <laughs> Texas A&M. There's yeah. no way. So the, the other thing that you have to think about, August 31st, 2024, Texas A&M opens up Mike Elko's first game, Notre Dame. Fourth and 16, maybe. Leonard? Maybe a Riley Leonard. Fourth and 16. It'll forever be his down. Okay, guys, this is the longest bites we've ever had. Fenway Bowl. <laughs> Fenway Bowl. Stop trying to make fetch happen. It's never going to happen. Fenway right. Bowl. The latest edition of DBR Bites is all done. I don't remember what number. I think it's 28, something like that. I don't even know. For Donald, I'm Jason. For guest star Sam, for Mike Elko, goodbye, sir. This is the Duke Band to play us out and take us home. Fenway Bowl. Fenway Bowl.